from Green Biz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from Green Biz events. I'm Joel McCower. The biggest question for us as a company today is how do you uh, balance out the supply and demand in the sustainability finance? The balance is completely out of whack. Dmitry Setov is Global Head of Innovation at Standard & Poor's. He spoke with Richard Madison, the CEO of Truecost, and me at the GreenBiz17 conference in Phoenix, Arizona, about what happens when the world's largest financial data companies factor sustainability into the equation, and how that's increasingly affecting stock analysts, investors, and lenders. Let's listen in. So last fall, I think October, um, uh, S&P Global, actually it's the Dow Jones S&P Indices, part of S&P Global, if I got that even partly right, um, bought Trucost, the UK-based uh, uh, research and data firm that we've been part, had the great pleasure of partnering with for about five years on our State of Green Business Report and, and in other ways. Um, Dimitri, why did S&P buy Trucost? What did you see in that opportunity? Yeah, uh, thank you, Joel, for this question. Um, well, first of all, uh, S&P Global has too many great uh, brands within, so we all get mixed up in all these names. But of course, S&P Global is a fairly young brand from uh, the marketing perspective. We uh, changed the name from McGraw Hill Financial uh, earlier this year. Uh, but of course, the brands that S&P Global um, uh, hosts or, or the home to are uh, quite well known. It's S&P Dow Jones Indices. It's S&P Global Ratings, the largest credit rating agency in the world. Uh, and it is uh, S&P market, global market intelligence, yeah. which is kept like QSNL financial plots and so on and so forth. Um, I think, you know, I, I'll answer your question. I will dodge your question in a way, if, if you don't Everyone mind. else does. So. <laughs> I, I, I will actually uh, say this. The big uh, question in my head is, why did we not buy TrueCost back in 2008 when we started collaborating with them? And, um, you know, the, the, you know, there, there are so many different uh, good reasons today to partner with, with a company like TrueCost, but it would have been fantastic had it happened 10 years ago. Now, as I talk to people uh, here in this room over the last uh, day and a half, uh, it's clear that, uh, you know, everybody is very pumped around, you know, this room and kind of gathered and talks, you know, uh, uh, in, in unison about the issues that are facing sustainability. But like my good friend uh, Paula DiPierna from CDP says, you know, it's like you lock these people in the room and they all scream very loudly, but nobody yeah. can hear on the outside. Um, and I, I think many people will agree that over the last, you know, decade, maybe even two, we've been talking about this, but we haven't seen the progress happen as, uh, as rapidly as many have hoped. And this being, what do we do and of the, with all the data that all these companies are putting forth or that you're finding from other sources, right? Is that no, absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's the fundamental misalignment between what uh, people in this room are really working hard on and what investors in the financial markets expect. Uh, there's clearly uh, a, uh, you know, a level of misunderstanding that sustainability is not just a social choice, yeah. but it is a requirement. Uh, but the questions such as how do we actually demonstrate to investors that more sustainable companies actually do lead to better returns? Uh, how do we uh, uh, demonstrate to investors that fiduciary duties that they have to uphold to their clients, such as pension funds and endowments, would not be compromised 
In fact, they would be enhanced, and at the same time, they would not have to sacrifice the yield. They could still uh, produce uh, better returns for the risk profiles that they've committed to. And ultimately, the, you know, the biggest question for us as a company today is how do you uh, balance out the supply and demand in the sustainability finance the balance is completely out of whack. Yeah. There is no equilibrium, right? You have, what, uh, $60 trillion committed um, to UNPRI by a roster of who is who of signatories of the financial world. But on the supply side, there's just not enough investments. There's not enough paper. And so the question is, how do you balance that equation? How do you produce uh, more uh, investments, put them into the market, and ultimately drive for that ever-elusive greenium, right, the premium? Well, let's get to how you do that in a minute. But yep. Rich, maybe, I, I mean, we started with the assumption that everybody knows what true cost is, and I'm sure that's probably not the case. So maybe give, first of all, the elevator pitch. But uh, along the way, talk about how uh, you see the, uh, the how sustainability meeting capital markets and how that shift, what's happened over just the last couple of years that this has sort of maybe reached an inflection point? Yeah, so true cost, you know, at true cost we work with companies and with investors. Uh, and the way in which we work with both parties is really to understand environmental performance and ESG performance more broadly. Um, and we were founded on the principle actually that capital markets were lacking really rigorous, robust analysis that would allow investors to make um, reasonable investment decisions. And in fact, it's still the case that we're facing massive market failure. It's 10 years since Lord Stern said uh, that climate change represented the biggest market failure known to man, um, and that that could represent literally GDP loss of up to 20% globally um, if we don't solve this problem. And part of the issue is an information gap and also a mismatch of um, expectations. So if you start at the top of the investment chain, you have asset owners like uh, pension funds and endowment funds who have a long-term time horizon. And somehow, as you move through that investment chain, that time horizon becomes very, very short, and in some cases, seconds, if you're talking about quantitative trading. Uh, and then right down towards the assets, you start to get longer term again. So, you know, everybody in this room has long-term assets that they're investing in, be they power plants or, you know, even the supply chain and things like that. So, actually, we have a complete mismatch in the middle of that set of decisions that is not driving capital towards sustainable investments or in, into assets that, that the companies are managing on behalf of shareholders. Um, and Really, it's this mismatch that was the, the, the fundamental uh, analysis that came out of the Financial Stability Board's Task Force on Climate-Related uh, Financial Disclosures, um, TCFD, uh, that Peter Backer mentioned yesterday. Uh, and it's really the, the, that report that highlights that the fact that there's a complete mismatch um, between what asset owners expect, the pension funds, how asset managers are analyzing information and the kind of information that can be provided by companies to enable that analysis. What we really need to do is enable capital flow um, that is sitting on low yield right now, uh, waiting for investment in sustainable um, assets. And that's what we need to unlock right now. So, uh, Dmitry, is that the imbalance, the, the supply-demand imbalance of sustainable finance? T talk a little bit about what you mean by that, because I'm not sure that's clear to everybody. 
Sure. Well, I, I think Richard articulated it uh, wonderfully. Uh, today, I think uh, there is a verified interest on the part of the large asset owners uh, on, uh, the, you know, the, the, the pension funds and endowments that actually sit on trillions of dollars. Uh, to put their money towards something that is sustainable, that is greener, not necessarily 100% green, but better than you know, the, the, the alternative, if you will. And uh, the big question is, how do we meet that demand with supply of available investments? To do so, you need uh, an industrial strength system that is transparent, that is comparable across asset classes and across regions, and you need a system that actually everybody can agree on. And today, we don't have that system. Now, S&P Global Ratings, a credit rating agency, has uh, been in the market with their credit ratings for the better part of the century. And today, it's uh, not even a thought. How do you assess default risk? Well, you look at a credit rating. That's how institutional investors think about credit risk. We need a system that is similar to that, in sustainability. How do you assess sustainability risks? And forget risks, how about assessing sustainability impacts? So, so give an example of how this might play out, an actual product yeah. that might uh, help solve this imbalance. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, so on the product side, uh, of course, S&P Dow Jones Indices has been uh, out there since, I guess, 1999 or 1998 uh, with their Dow Jones Sustainability Indices. Uh, it's a family of about 50 uh, index, uh, indexes that um, provide passive investors uh, and retail investors with fantastic opportunities to put money towards more sustainable investments. And uh, TrueCost has been a great partner in our carbon efficient indices. So on that side, on the equity side, on the passive investment side, I think uh, we have it pretty well covered. The biggest uh, asset pool, however, is bonds. It's two-thirds of the financial markets, and it's $80 trillion. So how do you tap into that? because that uh, asset pool is certainly managed by professional asset uh, managers, that's institutional money, and it's uh, the active side of the investment equation. So these are the green bonds? That so we're that's talking? the green evaluations that we actually, uh, this week, we formally launched but proposed uh, at G20 uh, uh, last year uh, and sort of reinforced in Marrakesh at COP22, a framework for evaluating any type of bond for its relative greenness. We do believe it's a game changer because today the only thing that's available out in the market uh, is uh, a set of frameworks that look at 100% eligible projects that can be financed through bonds. That's your labeled green uh, uh, universe. We would like to take the markets further. Green, green finance has done wonders, you know, it certainly has grown, but it's still $100 billion. You have this gap of $100 billion of supply and $60 trillion of committed demand. Mm -hmm. And we can't get there through just eligible projects. So uh, green evaluations from S&P Global Ratings is actually uh, a very interesting proposition to the markets and, and to uh, corporate issuers uh, in this room. We don't really need to think about a bond being 100% green. We can think about all of the amazing initiatives that are being conducted by people in this room at the corporate level as business as usual, but are not recognized uh, by investors as being uh, green. So they cannot really aggregate it for, the, you know, for their portfolios and say, well, you know, we have good investments, we have, I don't know, uh, $60 trillion worth of uh, you know, bonds overall, but there is a percentage of them that actually are financing initiatives such as energy efficiency, 
such as you know, better use of water, such as uh, reduction of pollution. Uh, and, and that's what we want to recognize with green evaluation. So, so Rich, what are the implications for the people in this room? In other words, do, does this happen entirely passively from their perspective? It just happens that you now have the ability to, to, to in effect, monetize or aggregate a lot of the, the, the great work being done? Or is there something that needs to, they need to be doing differently? Or thinking I, differently about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think um, there's been a huge amount of work on, on you know, scoping out sustainability, and, and everybody in this room has contributed massively to that. To my mind, it's actually harnessing capital markets as a force for good. You said yesterday uh, that companies can be a force for good. I actually believe that capital markets can be a force for good. There is capital sitting there waiting to be invested. So, and what do we really need? We actually need a, a, a you know, a magnitude higher level investment in sustainability. Can you so, give some numbers just to give us a sense of how big we need to be aiming? Well, I mean, let's take China, for example. Uh, China's, um, just China's climate plan, every year requires $600 billion of investment. 85% of that does not come from the Chinese government. 85% of that has to come from private capital markets. So. In China, and, and that is China, they have measured quite precisely what that looks like. If you go across the world, that number is probably bigger, so 90%, 95% even. Um, and certainly in the US, probably 99%, I don't know. Um, but the point about this is that in terms of the scaling that is required to meet sustainable challenges, that will need a lot of capital. That's billions and billions of dollars. Last week, uh, a French pension fund issued a, a low-carbon mandate of $5 billion just last week. And that's not unusual. This is happening all the time now. So you have asset managers, you have fund managers who are looking for investments. So the, there's an opportunity here for everybody in this room to present investable opportunities at scale to the market to allow the market to invest. So I actually think the job here is to connect sustainability with a financial community within companies. Um, and really, you know, I, I actually believe that every company in this room in the next year should probably be thinking about issuing a green bond. Yeah. So, or or act, I could actually say a bond that could be assessed for its relative greenness, which is uh, all of a sudden exposing so many more in investors to this uh, potential investable opportunity. So, Dimitri, uh, we talk about sustainability and, 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 and then we talk about green, which is just one part of sustainability. Is there an opportunity or do you see this moving uh, also to include uh, social uh, opportunities or is that even investable in the same kind of way? And absolutely, and, and I think uh, uh, the, the way I think about ESNG is uh, in terms of operational risk and operational opportunities, as well as companies' ability to uh, manage these risks and perform better for the benefit of their shareholders. So whether it's uh, green or it's social, it's a combination of both, I think uh, we uh, should and will assess it uh, on its own merits. ESG uh, speaks more to the corporate behavior than, it's, uh, than, let's say, green finance that is more focused on the actual use of proceeds. And so you sort of need both in the market. Uh, you know, if you are an oil and gas company with investments that go towards improving the environment, that ought to be recognized. And that's your use of proceeds and where you say, well, you know, we've invested $2 billion into uh, clean coal or coal to gas conversion or whatever it is. Uh, th that's fine. We, we should not say, well, no, no, this is not 100% greener. Oh, you're you know, a, a, a miner or an oil and gas company, therefore you should not be even in this room. Just the opposite. So that's the green evaluation. 
ESG speaks more to the broader corporate behavior and uh, more to the combination of various factors that uh, management puts in place in order to be more sustainable as an organization. And we certainly are looking to assess those as well. Okay. Let's take a question from the audience, Elaine. Yeah, we're getting quite a few questions um, on Twitter as well as our virtual. Uh, one question is a two-part two on Twitter because 140 characters wasn't enough. Um, investors use a small number of sources for data and often want very small numbers of ESG metrics. Many are reported, but not in the 10K. Are we solving the problem of no data or laziness of investors? Rich? <coughs> I think it's true that investors want simplicity. Um, and I think that uh, one of the findings of the Financial Stability Board's report was that actually um, some of the information that's been presented is not that usable by investors. Um, so I, th I do think they need simple formats. They need uh, information that they can incorporate within models, within um, multi-factor models, within uh, net present value calculations, whatever way in which they're calculating value. Um, but what they're really looking for, and the recommendations of that report, I would really recommend everybody reading, um, is they're looking for scenario analysis. They're looking for a connectivity between sustainability indicators and financial outcomes. Because that allows them to justify the investments they need to make to scale and transition our economy to a more sustainable world. So really, simply put, um, yes, they are looking for very clear data sets presented in a format that makes sense to them, but there may need to be further work done on exactly how that data is presented. Great. Let's take another question. Yeah. This one is on Twitter. Uh, how do you identify opportunities and interest in investors with aggregate funds, ETFs, mutual funds, large cap, et cetera? So these are invest uh, the things that we can invest in as in our retirement. And that's what you're talking about, these kinds of products? Uh, yeah, well, I, if I understand the question correctly, uh, if you're a retail investor and you just want to know what, what the offerings are, there are plenty of offerings out there in the market that uh, cater to the sustainability investor. I think what we are trying to do is uh, take it mainstream with institutional money. Uh, it's not a, a matter of lacking opportunities uh, for very targeted thematic investment. Those have been around for a while and they're quite well documented. The question is how do uh, the rest uh, of, the, uh, uh, of the issuers, the 90% of the issuers are there who have a variety of different business models that may not necessarily fit that perfect sustainability mold, can demonstrate to investors their sustainability and drive for greater returns on their assets as a result of it. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. Well, this party is just getting started. I think it's so, not just your partnership, but this, this whole field. I think we saw green bonds, uh, one of the really good news parts of the State of Green Business uh, report this year in terms of the, the up market uptake of those or the issuance of those. And um, it, it's gonna be really exciting to watch, to watch you guys figure out how, to, how one plus one equals 11 in your case, uh, just numbers guys, and, um, and, and what the bigger opportunity is for, for all of these companies. So we'll, we'll look forward to that. Please join me in thanking Rich and Dimitri. You've been listening to Dimitri Setov of S&P and Richard Madison of TrueCost in conversation at the GreenBiz 17 conference. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz 350, 
our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.